right, good morning, Revelation Church. Good morning. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Jesus is king? What does that mean? It actually means two things. One, we have a little listening activity for the kids that are joining us this morning. I want to see if they can tally up how many times the statement, Jesus is king, is stated throughout this sermon. Okay? So that's one. And the other thing is, what does this mean? We'll get into that. For the people in this story, what does it mean for us as Christians, for those that are not followers of Jesus? I did that on purpose because as we read through this scripture, there's a number of prophecies that are fulfilled in the triumphal entry. For the people in this story, Jesus is king has a very specific meaning. However, what they thought it meant and what Jesus has planned is very different. We'll see this play out over the next couple weeks as we enter what's traditionally known as Holy Week or the last week leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So from here on, we are in the last week. You have Christmas in July. You now have Easter in August. Welcome to 2020. <laughs> it's kind of weird, isn't it? As far as our text this morning, we'll be in Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. It's on page 875 in the Pew Bible in front of you if you want to go ahead and follow along. And what you'll find there when you turn to that page is the title will most likely say something to the effect, the triumphal entry. And to be honest, at face value, when we hear this story, it doesn't seem very triumphal. We think of ancient times, kings rolling into cities, conquering them on a large horse, not a lowly donkey. We don't really have a context for what's happening in this happening here. It's Jesus's coronation. He is going to establish himself as king. It's a public declaration. It's kind of like in the movie Frozen, when Anna is going to become queen, there's a lot of celebration, right? There's a party going on. There's excitement. That's what we find here. The only context that we really have is the presidential inauguration. Can you imagine the president of the United States instead of riding in in the limo, followed by all the different people, Secret Service, instead comes in on a lowly donkey? How weird. But that's the kingdom of heaven. It's where Jesus is king. And it's very different than what we'd expect. The triumphal entry is no different. It's not subject to our expectations. We have expectations when we hear the term triumphal entry. There's grandeur, there's 
pomp and circumstance and a big celebration and this powerful person is going to change things. But this triumphal entry is different. Instead, it's what God has planned. Jesus on a donkey instead of a war horse. Lower class people celebrating him as he enters the city versus a king coming in from battle, having won the war, a military parade followed by military force and people of stature. That's not what we find here. We find Jesus riding in on a lowly donkey. Let's go ahead and jump into the story, verse one. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage at the Mount of Olives. Now I wanna recap kind of where we've been. If you could throw up the uh, picture of the map. I just wanna show you guys kind of where we've progressed over the last couple weeks. Because as you can see, we're in a pilgrimage. Jesus is making his way down to Jerusalem. You can see at the very top, that's Caesarea Philippi. That's where Jesus, or Peter says that Jesus is the Messiah. We find that in Matthew 16. Then the next stop, coming down a little ways, on the right-hand side of the Jordan River, that would be Judea. That's where Jesus is tested by the Pharisees. And we find that in Matthew 19. Then, to the right of that, just on the left-hand side of the Jordan River, to the northwest corner of the Dead Sea, you would find Jericho. Jericho is roughly 17 miles from Jerusalem. So you can see that little strip there, basically where the arrow is, just before Bethany, going into Jericho. That's about 17 miles. And it's a 3,000-foot elevation climb. So there's quite a journey ahead of them. In Bethage, we don't have a lot of information about the city, but we do know about Bethany, and we know that it's close to Bethage. And then it's about two miles or so from Bethany to Jerusalem. And Jesus is on a mission. This is his pilgrimage to Jerusalem. He has foretold of his death multiple times. We see it in Matthew 16, 17, and most recently in Matthew 20, where he brings the 12 disciples together and tells them that he is going to Jerusalem to die at the hands of the uh, authorities. So Jesus has been telling people not to say anything about him. But as we see here, we'll see a transition in that progression in which Jesus will proclaim who he is. Let's look, finishing chapter one. Jesus then sent two disciples telling them, go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with a fowl. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say, to the, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. Did Jesus just tell the disciples to steal a donkey? No. What's most likely going on in this situation is in that area of Bethany, 
That's the same area where Lazarus was raised from the dead. So Jesus' notoriety is fairly well known. And so when the disciples go and collect the donkey and say that the Lord needs them, they say, go ahead and take them. So in God's providential plan, he has set this in motion. Jesus is now putting his coronation into motion. And we'll see the fulfillment of prophecy as we continue to read here because Jesus is king. Looking at verse four, we see, this took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He was fulfilling the prophecy of the Old Testament. We see this in Isaiah 62:11 and Zechariah 9:9. There's discussion of a coming king that will restore Jerusalem or Zion, restore the city. So keep in mind that the primary audience for Matthew is the Jewish people. And so what he's doing here is directing them back and saying, look, look, Jesus fulfilled these prophecies that we see here in the Old Testament of a coming king that will restore us to our rightful place. He is showing that, Matthew is showing that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is king. Now we see the fulfillment of the prophecy starting to play out in verse six. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and its foal, then laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. Jesus is going to ride a donkey. Now to be perfectly clear, this is not a political application for today. Jesus is not picking a donkey over an elephant, all right? Just wanna clear that up if anybody had any questions about that. But this is a huge declaration of who Jesus is. Hopefully I can convey this to you well. But if you notice, as we go through Matthew, Jesus is telling the people, don't say anything to anybody. Don't say anything to anybody. But now we see this transition. And I find it pretty cool from the standpoint that he is going to declare who he is. He is the Messiah. He is the coming king. He is fulfilling the prophecy of old. So he is in that term, elevating himself from the physical state of man to the Messiah King that the Jews have been waiting for. He is elevating himself from that position. And how does he do that? He elevates himself from the ground upon a donkey. Keep in mind the cultural context, most people walked wherever they went. So we're looking at that map. Several miles they have gone on their pilgrimage. In most situations, only prominent people 
road animals. So for Jesus to elevate himself onto a donkey displays that he is a step above. We see other instances of people riding donkeys throughout scripture. First Kings 133, Solomon riding on a donkey the day he's recognized as the king of Israel. If you want to do further study, it's kind of fascinating if you dig into it. I won't go into it this morning for the sake of time. But you can see in Judges 510, 10-4, 12-14, and 2 Samuel 16-2. These are all instances of people riding on a donkey that were associated with royalty or power of some sort. And these were in times of peace. So in riding a donkey, Jesus is seen as the promised king. He comes in peace because Jesus is king. And a great celebration follows. Let's look at verse 8. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. There's great fanfare. Jesus is receiving the red carpet treatment. Time to celebrate because Jesus is king. Keep in mind, this is the week leading into Passover. And the triumphal entry, just a quick side note, most likely happened on a Monday, which is the same day that the lambs were selected for sacrifice for the Passover, which began Friday night. So I think that's kind of a cool little note that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He was coming, declaring, I am the Messiah and I am the lamb. And I have come on a very specific day at a very specific time to accomplish a very specific goal. And that goal was to fulfill that which he was called to, mainly to be the Messiah and to be the Lamb. The people laying down their clothes, it's a form of submission. You're taking off your cloak, you're laying it on the ground and stating that whoever rides over this has authority over me. They would do the same thing for any king. The idea is, I am submitting to your authority. But they have a very different perspective and expectation as to who Jesus is. They expected Jesus to be the promised Messiah, king, deliverer. But he will be the deliverer. He won't necessarily deliver them from the oppression of the Roman forces of the time. But he will deliver them from sin. They think that he is going to be their earthly king. They think physically. They are not thinking spiritually. Nonetheless, they celebrate. See in verse 9. 
Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. All I can think of when I see, read this is I think of Aladdin. Now we're not gonna solve which one's better, the cartoon or the live action. That's uh, for another time. However, you see when Aladdin gets his wish and becomes the prince and the, the fanfare that he receives as he rolls into the city. There's lots of excitement. The prince has arrived. You can hear the song, Prince Ali. I'll save you from the rest of my singing. But better than that, the king of the universe is coming in our story. There should be more excitement associated with that. These are statements of praise. And with that, we're going to do something a little bit different. Please don't be too nervous. Have everybody stand up. Okay, what I want to do is I want to recite these statements of praise. And I know we have the little ones with us, so we're going to have a little fun, okay? So first and foremost, I'm going to say the line, and then I want the kids to repeat it back to me, okay? So I'll say a line, and then they repeat back to me as loud as you can, all right? I want to hear it. Let's do this. Hosanna to the son of David. All right, that wasn't bad. Let's try it one more time. Hosanna to the son of David. I know there's kids in the back that can sing a little, uh, say it a little louder. Hosanna to the son of David. All right. Let's go. Next line for the adults. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Ooh, kiddos, I think they got you beat. We're going to do the last line, kids only, as loud as you can. Ready? Hosanna in the highest heaven. All right. Thank you. You may be seated. <laughs> These are statements of praise. There should be some enthusiasm behind it. This comes from Psalms 118. It's a psalm of victory. Victory is won. Jesus is king. The true king of, has arrived in Israel. And the people have publicly proclaimed who he is. And Jesus has allowed it. And the authorities are upset. And so now we have set the stage for what is to come in the coming weeks. Jerusalem is the final destination for Jesus' earthly ministry. He has been on the earth, God incarnate, ruler of the universe, has dwelt with us 33 years. And that time is now coming to a close. He has arrived in Jerusalem. Verse 10. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar, saying, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. I can't help but notice 
This is a demonstration of mob mentality. You have somebody in the crowd celebrating, yelling, and screaming, has no idea what they're screaming about. They ask who or why, who is this? And the response, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus has now arrived in Jerusalem. The Israelites are going to be delivered. They have been waiting almost 500 years for this day. We see this prophecy in Daniel 9. I'll save that for another day. But as you can see, we have Isaiah 62, we have Zechariah 9, we have Daniel 9. There are a number of prophecies that are fulfilled in this one event. So while it may not look extravagant on the physical piece, from the spiritual piece, it is amazing. It is exactly what we need. There should be true excitement. So for the people, Jesus is king. He is the promised Messiah, which he is. Though it doesn't go as they planned, there's a plot twist. You gotta love plot twists. If you've seen The Sixth Sense, unlike me, I have a tendency to fall asleep during movies. Uh, it's actually become a family joke, but um, I actually didn't see the end of it until it got ruined for me. But most people through the movie think it's going one way. Okay, this is, I got this, I figured out the movie, blah, 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 we're good. Then all of a sudden the plot twist happens. And spoiler alert, Dr. Crow is dead the whole time. The people did not realize that Jesus came not just as a triumphant king, but also as a, the suffering servant. They were thinking physical. Jesus, the whole time, has been talking about the kingdom of God and the spiritual realm. This is Jesus declaring himself king, ruler of all things. So Jesus is coming not only as the Messiah, but the suffering servant. We see this in Isaiah 53. Go ahead and turn over with me to Isaiah 53. Starting in verse four. And this is the prophecy of the suffering servant. And we see here, yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted, but he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Jesus is the suffering servant. He has paid the penalty for sin. He took on 
our punishment that we deserve. So as a result, Jesus does deliver. It just happens to be in a very unexpected way. I think of it like a diamond. The diamond is the triumphal entry. The facets are the different prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. It's so multiple, multi-dimensional, excuse me, multi-dimensional, that if we just brush over it and don't spend the time digging in, we're gonna miss the beautiful truths that are in this scripture. We hear it every year on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. I'm glad that we get to take this time now and look at it in a different context in August, in 100 degree weather. It allows us the opportunity to look at it a little bit differently. Quick word on application and then we'll finish. So we've talked about for the people, what about us for as believers? Go ahead and turn over with me to Titus 2 starting in verse 11. You see, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godliness and worldly lust, to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from the lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Proclaim these things, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. First and foremost, if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus, you are redeemed. We are to live in sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age, here and now. We are to be about good works as we eagerly wait for the return of Christ. And we can see that in Revelation 5. Go ahead and turn over to Revelation 5. So while... This triumphal entry may not have been all that amazing. Jesus will receive a true triumphal entry when he returns and there will be a great celebration. But we see the lamb is worthy starting Revelation 5 verse 8. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and a golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered. You purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation, you made them a kingdom and priests to our God and you will reign on earth. 
Then I looked and heard the voices of many angels around the throne and also the living creatures of the elders. Their number was countless, thousands plus thousands of thousands. They said with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and power to the one seated on the throne and the lamb forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. This is a triumphal entry. Thousands upon thousands of thousands celebrate. And you notice that it's every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, worthy is the lamb. Blessing and honor and glory and power. All things will submit to Jesus' authority at some point, as we see here in Revelation. Because Jesus is king. And as we eagerly wait for that time, we need to be about God's work, about good works. We should be about the business of the kingdom of God. Now, for those that aren't followers of Jesus, I say this, Jesus is king. I say that not to scare you, but to encourage you. What do you mean, John? Well, Jesus came not as the world expected. His triumphal entry was not what we expected. It didn't meet our expectations, but it is exactly as God planned it to be. Jesus has defeated death and all things are subject to him. There is one person that is in control of all things and that is Jesus. So as you look out around the world and you see all the chaos and craziness that is 2020, you can rest assured that Jesus is king. And for the unbeliever, he has come to make you whole, to make you complete, to bring you into his kingdom, asking you to follow him because this is a kingdom of hope, joy, love, and peace, where Jesus is king. That is a triumphal entry. Jesus is king. He is also the lover of our soul and the ruler of all things. May that encourage you today.
You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.